Lee, thank you for, for leading us in prayer. But uh, if you could, let's just... Um, this is a, a message today that, that often is so confused, I think, when we talk about it in church, that people leave with the wrong message. And so I think it's a very important subject that we're going to talk about today. So let's just let's bow one more time and just ask that God would give us grace and give, uh, give me clarity to explain and give us ears, ears and hearts to hear. So would you pray with me? Lord, we know that we live in a, in a difficult time financially. It sometimes can seem so hard to know where to start to get ahead. And some of us have made mistakes financially or mistakes relationally that have resulted in financial pressures. And some of us in here, we look back and we say, Lord, I don't know what I could have done different. Tried to work hard. Tried not to spend on stuff that I didn't need and couldn't afford, but it just seemed so tight. And for some of us, we, 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 we hear these, these needs of, of people overseas and ministries here in Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And some of us, we say, I, I want to give. I want to support. I want to come to Wednesday night. But I can't because I'm still working. God, would you help us this morning to see what your word really says in regards to the heart, in regards to giving, in regards to your logic about how you tell us in order to get ahead, it means that we sacrifice and give. And God, would you just destroy the lie of the enemy that tries to convince people that Christianity is just all about money. Lord, your word tells us that true biblical Christianity makes use of of finances so that ministry can be done and so that needs can be met. But that the church should be a place that gives and when it asks, it asks for the right things. So God, for the ones that are here, the ones that are listening to this podcast or radio or whatever it may be, who have had experiences with churches or ministries where finances have been handled wrong, and it has all become all about money. Lord, would you set us free who may have been through that? Would you set us free from bitterness? Would you direct us back to your word to see what true Christianity is? And for some in here that may claim to know you, but they are in the clutches of greed and materialism, and it is not the issue of tithing, it is not the issue of giving that's the problem. The problem is that I will not do what God says. And God, would you bring us to a place of humility today? Would you help the ones who have had difficult financial times to know that most of all, what you desire is their heart? And for the ones in here that may have some saved back, that have made some good financial choices and you've blessed, that you would shake us today of the danger of relying upon what we can do and what we have earned and what we have saved and invested. And by the time we're finished here today, Lord, that we'll have revival. That we will not see the sermon series on money, stress, and the gospel as talking about strictly our finances, but that our hearts would be brought to the foot of Jesus once again. And then we would see that you desire us to present our bodies, all of us, 
everything of who we are and what we are to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, would you help the high school students, middle school students who are in here this morning who may not, may not even be working yet to understand this is, this is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. All the way up into the seniors who've worked and are now retired. Would you give us your grace and bind the lies of the enemy? And Lord, for the ones here who may be blinded by their own greed and their own materialism, their own, I will do what I want. Would you smash that into a million pieces this morning? And bring us face to face with Jesus so that we will not ask questions such as, what do I need to do to not be guilty? That we would say, Lord, where would you send me? What would you have me do? Would you help us, Lord Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Mark chapter 12 in verses 41 through 44. And this is the last message in our sermon series on getting ahead and tithing and bills. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we've talked about all sorts of stuff throughout the Bible. And what we want to do this morning before we jump into Mark 12 is we want to back clean up for a few minutes, all right? Kind of do a flyover of what we've learned. Uh, in this, these past few weeks, we've learned that a biblical approach to money is to not define ourselves as I'm a tither, I'm not a tither. I'm a half, I'm a tither, right? Like I give 5% or I give more than my tithe. But to have a biblical approach to money, which means that we relate to money in such a way to show that money is not our God and that money doesn't control us. We also have learned in this series what the Bible has taught us is that consistently spending on things that we don't need and can't afford is the sign of a spiritual problem, Right? The Bible teaches that we should be frugal, that we should live within our means, that we should have our our contentment in the Lord and not in stuff that we can't afford and don't need. Because when we buy those things that we can't afford and don't need, usually it ups the stress level, doesn't it? So we're left with the same issue simply compounded. And for some of us, when we looked at that last week, it's going to begin to needing to be some changes. And it, it, it may even be in some of our marriages that we have to have a sit down with husband and wife, wife and husband and say, look, we've got to at least look at what the Bible says and say, are we even asking the question, what should we do financially? Last year, we, or excuse me, last week, we looked into the idea that humility, humility, Being willing to take advice is the key to getting out of unnecessary debt. Because for some of us, the reason why we're in the hole that we're in is because we haven't listened to God or godly counsel. We haven't. We've said, here's what I want, here's what I'm going to do. And we do what we think we want, but if our wanter, y'all following me? If our wanter is not calibrated correctly, then what we want is not what we need. And then when we start making payments on what we think we want, that doesn't satisfy because it's not what God wants for us. And so the beginning to crawl out and claw out of that hole of unnecessary debt begins and ends in humility. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So that's all of us. And if you don't think that we're naturally born that way, we want to invite you to have a special tour of the Rocky Mount Baptist Church Children's Ministry. Not kidding. If you've spent any time around children, 
Now, there are some that seem to be wired a little bit sweeter than others, and some you're like, is my child possessed? We naturally are born, we just have an inclination, a bent towards selfishness, so that little kids often learn the words, mine. I want this. And they don't care. They don't care that you're on the phone. I'm hungry now. And they'll start screaming. Some of you ladies are like, that's my husband. That's not my kid. That's my, that's my husband. That's him. We naturally have that inclination to say, I'm right. And even if I know I'm wrong and I just made a terrible argument or I did a dumb mistake, I don't want to admit it, right? Because if I admit it, then my husband or wife who has the better idea, they actually listen during the sermon, right? And they said, this is maybe, I mean, God says this and we're doing this, so maybe we should get together and talk. And we don't want to admit that because there's pride. If that's the case, if we're not willing to admit we're wrong, you see, that's the beginning of the gospel, right? I'm a sinner, right? I cannot save myself. Like when we get saved, we come to Jesus Christ and it's not, Lord, I've, I've kind of fudged on some stuff, made some mistakes, right? We use that word all the time, make mistakes. And I, I could have done a little bit better. No, the Bible says that we're dead. Like we're dead in sins and trespasses. Like God's not like, he's not passing out oxygen, like revive yourself. We're dead in sins and trespasses. We don't want God. We don't fear God. We don't respect God. Romans chapter 3 gives a beautiful picture of how bad we actually are. But because we like to keep jobs and not get the cops called on us, we as adults and students find ways to act appropriately in culture, but our hearts are still the same. The gospel, the beginning part of the gospel is for us admitting that we're wronged, which requires humility. And guess what? Humility is a staple. It is the glue that holds a Christian life together. It really, really, really is. If we don't have humility in our lives, we will not, we will not keep friends. There's going to be time in friendships and in marriage relationships and in work relationships to where we're not going to act the way that we should. Or we sin against our brother or sister. And if we don't have humility to make that right, it's going to crash and burn every single time. So finances or anything in life, the key of restoration and reconciliation is humility. And for some of us, that's so difficult because especially with finances, adults, let's just be real honest. If we've made dumb decisions in the past, it can be very embarrassing to tell somebody about it. Okay? Not even ask for a witness, right? Because we're not going to be like, amen, me right here. It's not going to happen. So what we're going to look at today is to bring all of it to a head, all of what we've studied, and to see what the Bible is telling us from Mark chapter 12 and verses 41 through 44, the story or the observation of the widow's offering that Jesus is saying that God's logic is the reverse of worldly logic or selfish logic, whereas giving is the key to getting ahead. Now, right out of the gate, when I said that giving is the key to getting ahead, probably some of us in here begin to prepare ourselves emotionally for the pastor's sales pitch. Have you ever heard the pastor's sales pitch? Whenever you use the giving word or the tithe word, it's all of a sudden we begin to strap ourselves into place just like we got suckered into an Amway presentation. I remember when I had moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and I got, it was by a doctor I knew in Dallas, Fort Worth, and he said, Jeff, I've got a great way, you know, I know you're, you know, just working part-time right now and trying to get something, and here's a great way you can make some extra cash on the side. Whenever people say, make some extra cash on the side, 
it's like Amway or drug dealing. You know, it's like, which, what are we talking about here? And I remember he sent me all this stuff. And then I, I ended up doing some training and then going to this, this thing with all these people in this big room. And this guy's talking about ways that we can be, you know, like, in, in, you know, independent business and sell stuff on the side. And he's like, yeah, and we're Amway. And anyway, and I was like, whoa. Now, if you, if you've done that before, we love you. We love you. I actually thought it would be pretty awesome, like invite some people to your house and act like you're going to bust an Amway presentation on them. And I'm like, just kidding. So um, I know we have somebody writing an email right now. I love Amway you know, to the church. So. The point is that when I heard the buzzword, I began to put up emotional roadblocks. And I think even if we've been out of church for a long time, if you're new, and we're so excited that you're here. Amen, church. Like we, we, love, we absolutely love it. Or if you've been in church for a long time, and even if you give biblically, sometimes when we get to that sermon, like it's actually in the notes, it's on the on the screen, it's on the website, tithing. No wonder we had more people here last week than this week, right? It can be something to where we prepare ourselves like we're going to get a sales pitch. And what we want to see this morning is what Jesus says about giving And to see how our hearts square away with that. Last week we looked at some practical ways to begin to claw out of debt. We looked at things such as, uh, if I don't have the money for it, I shouldn't go into debt for it. The old school rule, right? If you don't have money for something that you want, you, you, you don't, you don't get it. Uh, live, living frugally, which is God's word, Craigslist and garage sales, that we don't have to buy new stuff in order to feel important. Our importance comes from Christ. We learned that in the Bible, debt is not viewed as a good thing. But for some of us, that's a paradigm shift, man, because some of us, we think in terms of monthly payments instead of total cost. We'll go into debt for everything from a cell phone to a computer to a vehicle, any, any, things that depreciate. And sometimes we don't even think in terms of, of total cost. We just See, how can we manage our monthly payments? Whereas the Bible gives us keys throughout the book of Proverbs on how to prosper financially. So I think one of the takeaways before we dive into the meat of this message is for all of us to commit to read the book of Proverbs on a regular basis. If you are a businessman or a businesswoman, the book of Proverbs is actually, it is loaded. I mean, spilling over, saturated with good business practices. Even if you don't own your own business, but you work for someone who does incredible keys on how to be the best, how to get promoted to the glory of God, how to make the most of what we bring home. It's incredible, and it's right here in the Word of God. In fact, there have been people who've said, I don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but I study the book of Proverbs because it's great for my business. And for some of us who are Christians, we never touch Proverbs. So maybe one of the takeaways for us is that we will begin to read. There's actually 31 Proverbs, believe it or not, for every day of the month. So begin to read God's Word and ingest it and allow God's Word to shape our minds on what is normal and abnormal financially. And probably the final takeaway point would be that some of us need to do some serious, I mean, I mean like Hollywood, well, not that, but high-level plastic surgery these things called credit cards credit cards all right let's just be honest some of us get so sunk because we see what we can get 
It's like, man, $5,000, $6,000, $7,000. I can go buy something really cool that I want. And there's no, like 0% APR for 12 months. Get a witness? But some of us, we don't think what happens after. Some of us are like, I'm going to die before that time. Shame on you. Like what happens on the 13th month or the 19th month? And then when payday comes around, we begin to see, oh my word, it's like 27% every single month. And I can't even touch the balance on this. So understanding that, that we need to make no provisions for the flesh if credit cards are an issue for you. And it can even be a point of addiction, actually. And that's not a joke for some people. Come talk to one of our church leaders here. We've got, we've got, I mean, we've got hand scissors. We've got little scissors. We've even got the big one, the chum, chum, in the office. We will help you out. Because today we've got the haves, the have-nots, and those who have not paid for what they have on credit. And once again, let's bring it back to the ranch For those of us who love Jesus Christ and follow him, when we have strapped ourselves financially and when we are buried, we don't even have the state of mind to serve the Lord Jesus Christ the way that we should because we're so stressed on how are these things going to come together. Newsflash, for some of us, it may be a long road. For some, you may be able to get out of that in a few months. For some, it may be a long road, but the road has to start somewhere. And just think how amazing you will feel, how much more, how much better the marriage is going to be, how much freer you will feel if the Lord allows you through biblical principles and going to those websites we've listed on the worship guide yet again to get some help so that you can go and to give where and to whom Jesus would have you go and to give to. We've also learned the power of patient investments. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. We've learned the destructiveness of laziness, uh, known among guys who are in their 20s as floundering. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. So it's telling the guy that will never work to go to the ant. Can you imagine that? I mean, you see a guy bending down on the pavement or on the stones in ancient Israel. And they say, what are you doing? I'm studying ants. People are like, that's weird. It's like, no, Solomon said to do it. The point is that we should be industrious for God's glory. And this is in your outline. I want you to just follow with it. Follow along with me on this statement. The goal of our finances is not just to get ahead so that we can have more stuff. Rather, being free of unnecessary debt frees us to give and go where God leads. And here's the buzz phrase. Financial freedom is centered upon the glory of God. Let me give you a statement by R.G. Letourneau. He was actually one of the inventors of much of the large earth-moving equipment that's still used today. Here's what he said. And he actually gave 90% of his income to the Lord and lived on 10%. So maybe we should listen to R.G. Letourneau. There's actually a college in Texas. A guy was started out humble, became very wealthy, and he gave back to the Lord. Listen to what he says. He says, I put my confidence in God. If he wants you to make money to serve his purposes, then you'll make it. If he doesn't want you to have the money, he'll take it away no matter how much you might have. You see, for some of us, we've got this goal, and we say... Once I make this amount, then I'll start to support the work of the Lord. Studies show us that actually the more we make overall, the less we give. Can you believe that? Overall, the more we make, 
the less we give. Because just maybe the Bible's right and that we have an inclination towards selfishness and stuff. And the more we make, the more it can have the potential of grabbing a hold of our heart. So here's where we come to where some churches and church members will disagree and go at each other like people at a Black Friday shopping event. Here's the question. What is a tithe? Y'all okay? We just said, we just said it in church. Tithe. You know what I found is so interesting? That in church, you can talk about a whole lot of stuff and a lot of people who've been in church for a long time don't get that upset. But if you start talking about, it's, it's crazy, I don't know what it is, but to say the word tithe, Man, you can talk about shacking up, cohabitation. You can talk about, I mean, stealing from your job. You can talk about all sorts of stuff. And people are like, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm tracking, or I may even, I may even be there, or alcoholism, or drug use, or what. Like, I, I struggle with that, right? But when you when you say the word tithe, it's almost like Baptists become to do the little shimmy shuffle in church. It's the, it's the thing that creates nervousness for us. Why? Because Jesus says, wherever our treasure is, there our heart is also. So here's the question. What is a tithe? Go read along with me. Returning a tithe is returning. Notice you're not, it's not, it's not giving necessarily because everything that we have is God's to begin with. It is returning a tenth of what he allows you to make. Biblically, the tithe is not the leftover. It's the first. It's, Something that we would never do for Operation Christmas Child. We would never go get an old pair of drawers or socks or something nasty, an old beat up shirt and put it in a box. We don't want to do that because that would be messed up. We buy something nice for the kid of that age group so they'll be able to use it. In the same way, biblically, right off the top, the tithe is the first fruits to the Lord. I love it when it gets quiet. So here's the question that causes a lot of dissension and sometimes people won't even come back to church. Is tithing, here's the question, is tithing mandated under the Mosaic law? Or you could ask, is tithing commanded in the New Testament? Now before we answer this question, something that would be helpful for all of us to remember is that the questions we ask actually show and reveal our heart. What that's saying is it's saying, what's the bottom line that I have to pay in in order to not feel guilty? We okay? Like, do what? It's kind of like when we were kids and mom and dad said it's chore time. And we said, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to complete my chores to be off of mom and dad's list and to not be called to do and give more? Biblically, not even speaking about the heart here, but according to the text, tithing actually precedes. It comes before the Mosaic law. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 12, and in Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, Abraham gives a tithe on two separate occasions. And this is long before Moses actually laid down the law. Tithing in the New Testament is something that's simply assumed. And if you have a copy of our newsletter this month, I just want to give the Lord praise for all that Rocky Mount Baptist Church gave to missions this past year. 
And if you're here with us as a member or you're thinking about joining up, we'd encourage you to pick up one of our budgets. Even this past year, we already gave to missions. And we said, you know what? We want to give more to missions, not out of just Lottie Moon or the international uh, missions offering, not out of, of any of these special ones, but we want to take more of what we take in on a weekly basis and dedicate that to missions. So we as a church want to model biblically what it means to support the work of the Lord. So then it becomes this. Now, if you're not in church, that maybe can be a good thing because some people who've been in church, it's this response. Well, doesn't the Bible say that God loves a cheerful giver? It does. So then the question becomes, should I give if I'm not cheerful? Right? I mean, come on. Guys, we got that Cabela's magazine and we're like, sweet. Right? Or whatever it may be. And we see stuff that's cool. It's not wrong to get. But then if that interferes with what God is calling us to do, then the question can be like, oh, I want to get this over here. I don't need it, but it would be cool. But I know that the Lord's calling me to do this. I'm not really cheerful about it, so should I actually give? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's kind of like this. Some of us know that there needs to be a change in our hearts. Some of us, we say, I know that I should value the right things and I don't value them right now. But I want to get to that place. According to Jesus, this is a freeing principle. The way that our heart begins to change. Yes, prayer is assumed. But the way it really begins to change is we begin to put our money into what God ultimately values and our heart follows after it. You see that there in the text? Look at it again. Jesus says, for where your treasure is. He doesn't say there your heart may be, but there your heart will be also. Like they're tied together. And the reason for that is that when we work our job, some of y'all are disabled because of the job that you worked in. Literally gave your health to bring home a paycheck for your family. And that is honorable in the sight of the Lord. Some of you are on medication today because of the stress that is induced by your job or the search and trying to find one to support your family. Praise God for your diligence. But what can happen very easily is we begin to think that money is somehow separate from who we are. We invest our lives to make money so that we can support our family. So when we give, the heart follows along after that. And when we see Jesus mentioned tithing in the New Testament, write down Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. And then Jesus lists how they would tithe even of the of these mint and dill and cumin. They were spices. But he said, you neglect the weightier matters of the law. What Jesus is saying is that we don't buy God off by tithing. For example, let's say that the Lord lays it upon your heart To begin to give. Biblically. That's not a way that we get into God's good graces. We are saved by grace through faith. Tithing does not make us righteous. Giving above our tithe to special offerings does not make us better. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee who prayed in the temple... He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this. And he pointed to the guy, apparently, this tax collector, and he says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. 
Man, may God free us from thinking that we can give and we can do to get God's favor. God's grace is there because of Jesus. Amen? And it's not something that we do to get. Some of us will say, well, man, what's what's in it for me? The answer is a lot. Malachi chapter 3.10. God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Here's God saying, test me in this. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Notice Mark chapter 12. In verse 41, this is Jesus and his disciples there in the temple. And it says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And what they had there in this particular court of the temple, they had 13 boxes where they would collect the offering. And and they said that some of them had, it was almost like shaped like a trumpet. And when you put your coins in, because they didn't have cash, like we do, you drop the coins in and you can actually hear the coins going down. Now imagine this. We're there and we're watching people come by and give their tithes. You've got the rich people. I mean, they're dropping in heavy gold. I mean, doom, 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 doom. Then you've got your other people that are dropping in maybe copper coins. Ding, 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 ding. Jesus is just watching. Wouldn't that make you a little bit nervous if you knew that he was watching? I mean, come on. Like if we had boxes at the back and that's the way that we gave our offering and Jesus just across like, what's up? Just watching you give. That's right. I know your heart. I know your heart. Right. And then notice what happens here. And a verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly. I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Well, wait a second. You've got rich person upon rich per- person dropping heavy coin into the offering. And there's this, this widow, all, that's all she has. That's it. That's it. That's all that she has. And she comes and she puts it in. And he says in verse 44, for they all, this is the key. They all, the rich people, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, wasn't this the same temple that Jesus busted up into and he started turning over tables and he pulled out a whip and he says that my father's house is to be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers? Here's, here's the ground, the grounding point. The temple at that time was corrupt. But she gave. She gave all she had. Most churches today, including Rocky Mount Baptist, we give financial statements. Things are audited. Things are not corrupt here. But in a day to where there was no other, it was the temple that was it and it was corrupt. There was no other, other way, no other church. And here's a woman who had nothing. And she goes to the temple and in an act of faith, she knew it. Everybody knew that there were scumbags running the temple. They were in cahoots with Romans. That they were cheats and liars and thieves. But here she has all she has. 
And in an act of faith, she gives it to the Lord as an offering in a corrupt system. Man, when I begin to, to read this, I said, wow, how much more should I give? Amen. To missions groups or the church or, 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 or other missionaries that are independent. How much more should I be motivated to give? And what Jesus says here is he points to the sacrificial poor as the standard of giving. Oh, this is so beautiful. Listen, if you are here and you are in deep financial stuff, you say, Jeff, it's not even that I'm in financial problems. I just don't make much at all. You realize that God is not concerned about how much we give, but God is concerned with how much our giving affects us. Y'all all right? If you make good money, more power to you. If you're struggling, God can use some great things in your life to make you more dependent upon Him. But according to Jesus, He says that they contributed out of their abundance. And let's just be honest. There's some of us in here that we could give a little bit more. We could actually give and it wouldn't hurt us at all. Not one bit. But according to the words of Jesus Christ, it's the measure to which our giving affects us. And when you think of Jesus looking at this woman, giving those two copper coins, and Jesus knowing that it's not going to be very long at all, before he is forsaken by his best friends, quote-unquote, he is flogged and beaten by Roman soldiers, by temple guards, he is cursed, he is spit upon, his beard is ripped out of his face, where he has cruel thorns smashed into his brow and in his head and he's bleeding and he's sweating he's struck with fists struck with a stick he's cursed he's blasphemed jesus knows all of this you see jesus is not up in heaven reigning as god saying do what i say but i've never been there jesus knows better than any of us what it means to sacrifice don't you think that for some of us if we were in jesus's shoes when all the disciples left that that may cause us to kind of think This is the best. And they left me. I poured my life three years. I mean, like, I I chose these guys. They know I'm God. And they they left. They left because they were scared of what? Like, they know that. Like, I'm the one who calmed the sea. I could call down legions of angels and wipe up the whole Roman army. No problem. But I invested my life. I gave to them. And they ran out on me. For some of us, whenever we get... We get done wrong like that, we're out of town, right? Say we leave the church, we're no longer friends with them, we're no longer inviting them to the family get-togethers, we're no longer talking and doing business with that person. But here's what Jesus did, he fixed his eyes on the prize, and Jesus on the cross, after being flogged, is there. And he's even saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus gave everything, everything. When I think of the the needs that are around this world right now, the people that are in poverty and the the places that don't have the gospel, and we think about here in Franklin County, all of the issues that we have domestically. It, It no longer becomes an issue of whether we tithe, you see. It no longer becomes an issue of what do I give, but it becomes an issue of all that I am is Jesus Christ. 
And I'm going to be with, I'm going to stand in front of him one day and give an account of my life. If he can save my soul from hell, if he can forgive me of all my sin, come on. If he can actually forgive me, like I'm actually really, really, truly forgiven. That means that if I stand before God and I'm righteous, not because of something I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. If that's true, and if he's given me joy, he's given me other friends and brothers and sisters in Christ to do the gospel with, then wow, what an amazing thing. And to know that I can die, I can die in a car wreck, I can die on a foreign battlefield, I can die in the line of duty, I can die from old age, I can die from being hit in the Chick-fil-A parking lot. And know that I have peace with God. That I don't need to fear death anymore. That I know that Jesus Christ has conquered death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And I don't need to be afraid of anything. Because Jesus says, don't fear those who will kill the body, man. Worst thing do to you is kill you. Right? That's it. All they can do is kill you. But then you meet the Father. You're with Jesus. So here's, here's where it breaks down for us. Sometimes we trust him with all that. But then we live like practical atheists. And it goes like this. I can trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to forgive my sins and be Lord over my life. I can trust Him to save me from hell for all eternity. But He's not responsible enough for me to hand over my finances. That's what we call practical atheism. Practical atheism says, I'll trust Jesus with the things that I can't see. Eternity, heaven, salvation. But I refuse to trust him with the things that I have and that I can see. That's the definition of a practical atheist. And churches across America are filled with practical atheists. And don't you see where it breaks down logically? If we can trust Jesus Christ to save our soul from hell, then what is greater than that? Everything else fails in comparison. So if we can trust him with that, we can trust him with everything. And for some of us, it may be, may be an issue of just saying, Lord, I need to confess and give everything that I have to do to you. Not signing over the check, actually, but saying, God, everything that I have in my life is yours. My family's yours. My house. My car. Everything. John Piper, we looked at this statement a couple weeks ago. He says, Christianity is not mainly about obedience to commands, but about the transformation of what you treasure. See, when we get saved, what we treasure and what we value begins to to rotate and change. So once again, the issue of biblical giving is never a legalistic percentage or it's an amount. But everything in the Bible trickles down from the fact that I am God's. He created me. He loved me. He saved me. And if I am God's, then it's not just an issue of I tithe 10%. But man, 100% of me and who I am is there to be used for his glory. Because I know that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. But if we are not God's, if he does not have control of who we are, if we've never surrendered our lives to him, then giving in any way to anyone makes no sense at all. And even Booker T. Washington's statement, the happiest people in the world are those who do the most for others, makes no sense if the gospel is not there. 